0: As we go into the message for today, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that as we delve into your word, that what you would have us see would be seen, that you would have only truth come through this speaking. Bless us as we study your word. Be with us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I, studied, I started our study through Acts by actually never getting to Acts. Um, it was helpful that it was Resurrection Sunday, so we did the lead-up to Acts. Today, we'll also be dealing in the Gospels, but we will actually get to uh, Acts uh, as... Your bulletins will say it's verses 1 through 8. It's actually uh, 1 through 7. It's actually verses 1 through 8. I'm going to start this by reading all that section. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive I guess, when explaining who Theophilus is and that uh, Acts is just a continuation of the story in the book of Luke. I'm going to be taking these verses a little bit out of order because of the way that they preach. So let's start with verse 3. To them he presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, he shows himself alive, not just to the apostles, but uh, as we know, but to other friends, to everybody who was following, all the disciples, women, children. And he shows himself to large gatherings besides. Last week, we saw that Mary Magdalene was the first witness of the resurrection. She and... It lists three women. It lists Mary Magdalene. It lists... Joanna, and also mentions Mary, the mother of James, but it also says that there were other women with them. But Mary Magdalene was not just the first witness of the resurrection. In Luke 20, verse 2, Mary is the first to see the risen Savior. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped, stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I want you to keep in mind here that Mary didn't recognize him. She mistook him for the gardener. Now, the second person to see Jesus alive was It says, the other Mary, which I'm going to assume means the mother of James, which is the mother of Jesus also. And It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This time, the women recognized Jesus. It, It may be because Mary Magdalene had already seen him when she thought he was a gardener. The next two that Jesus appeared to were the men on the way to Emmaus. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? So they don't recognize him either. And they don't recognize him until they sit down to a meal with him and he breaks the bread. And suddenly, they knew that it was Jesus. Now, we don't know why, and the Bible does not tell us why people did not uh, recognize Jesus. Um, You know, in Isaiah, it says... uh, He was a man of no significance to look at. Was his resurrection body better? It doesn't say. Was he more handsome? Was he somebody to look at? Was his glory about him? Does not say. Did he just simply want to conceal his appearance for his own reasons until the time was right to let them know who he was? A skeptic would say that they didn't recognize Jesus, of course, because it wasn't Jesus. But the reporting of the story itself argues against that. The writers of the Gospels left in the detail that they didn't recognize Jesus. If it wasn't Jesus, the writers of the Gospels would have said, and two men were walking from Emmaus and said, look, there's Jesus, let's go join him. But that's not what they did. The puzzling detail that they don't clarify is left in the narrative. And the only reason it's left in the narrative is because it's true. Because for whatever reason, his close friends did not recognize him. If they were not honest writers of history, they would have changed that. But no, they left it a mystery because it was the truth. The next person who saw Peter, or the next person we know who saw Peter, we don't know if it was actually the next person, because of the report of the men on their way to Emmaus, they said, they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And then, after all this, Jesus appears to his disciples. We covered that last week. He says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, He was proving to them that he was a man, and Jesus eats with them, and they know he is not a ghost. The next person to see Jesus, the next person he showed him to, was Thomas, who he also covered last week. Jesus shows him his hands in his side, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. In all, Scripture lists 13 appearances of Jesus to his disciples and others in the 40 days before his ascension. That's an appearance roughly every three days. And that's just of the ones that are written down in the Bible. We do not know if he appeared other times. Not everything that happens with Jesus, they say, if everything was written down, it would fill all the books in the world. We don't know how many times he appeared. We do know these 13 times. In John 21, Jesus went before them and revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, uh, which is also the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Sounds like Pastor Bill, doesn't it? Excuse me. I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sounds like Pastor Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have some breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Once again, they know Jesus because of his works, but not because of his looks. Again, they saw him in Galilee in Mark 28, 1620. It's where Jesus gives them the Great Commission. Paul gave a short list of the appearances in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried I love what Paul says here. He says he appeared to 500 people and they're still alive. You can go ask them because there are only a few who have fallen asleep. In verse 1 through 2, Luke says, in the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus was still instructing his disciples right up to the moment of his ascension. The instructions began immediately after the resurrection, the first time he appeared to his disciples. Right after the two disciples on the road to Emmaus reported seeing him, it says in Luke 24, 44 through 49, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, Jesus had been explaining these things before the resurrection. At the Last Supper, he told them he was going to be given up and killed. And, and though they accepted his words, they didn't really believe it. But here it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I don't know about all of you, but until the Holy Spirit opened my mind, I did not understand scripture. Uh, it was hard for me to read. Even the New International Version, as I once said. But I did not understand the scriptures. I was like the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip was sent to. And Philip hears him reading from the book of Isaiah, and he says to the eunuch, do you understand what this verse means? And he says, how will I know without someone to explain it? Well, the Holy Spirit is who explains it to us. And the Holy Spirit is who explains it to the disciples. Our guide is the Holy Spirit, who opens our mind. Still, the disciples have not yet learned all they need to know. Indeed, even up to the moments before Jesus' ascension, they did not understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Acts 1, verses 4 through 5 reads, And while staying with them... He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, a few questions that come to mind are, why did Jesus want them to stay in Jerusalem? They would have been safer in Galilee. Uh, They were still thinking that they were going to be hunted down by the Jews if they were in Jerusalem. And why did he delay the gift of the Holy Spirit? He could have given it to them anytime he wanted. And I guess that's why he delayed the gift of the Holy Spirit, was he was going to give it to them when he wanted them to have it. As we saw last week, the reason for staying in Jerusalem was that Jerusalem was the jewel of the East, considered the, the best city of the East, which I pointed out last week, meant that it was the best of the Worst cities in the Roman Empire. It was the center of Judaism, the center of their religion. The temple was there. It was the largest city, meaning the most witnesses to the miracles that would come at Pentecost. As opposed to Galilee, which was the backwater of Israel, the area where it was set, as I pointed out last week, has anything good ever come out of Galilee... And it was a common saying. And of course, Jesus came out of Galilee, so I'd have to say the best thing came out of Galilee. But at the time, did anything good ever come out of Galilee? And the delay of the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry thinks it was to build a sense of anticipation in the disciples. A heightened awareness of the gift being given them from God After all, they didn't know how the gift would be manifested. They were to wait anxiously for what was to come. And still, because they had not yet received the gift of the Spirit, they still don't understand the nature of the kingdom. So here we are at the scene of the ascension, as the disciples asked Jesus in Acts 1.6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In John 18, 36, Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. And then he repeats, but my kingdom is not from this world. The disciples didn't understand that the kingdom was never coming back to Israel. It has not come back to this day. The kingdom is for every person who believes Jesus is Lord, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. Jews can be a part of the kingdom, but they have to be grafted in, just as every Gentile has to be grafted into God's kingdom and to become a child of God. Here the disciples ask of Jesus that which every Christian seems to ask. Lord, will you at this time? Everyone wants to know when. We have whole industries written about when. When is the Lord coming back? When is he establishing the new heaven, the new earth? Left Behind series comes to mind Never read them, but uh, studies of the uh, book of Revelation of Jesus Christ looks for clues. My first pastor and I loved him dearly was was convinced that some of the scenes in the book of Revelation was World War III. The stingers coming out of the uh, the, the rears of the uh, birds and stuff like that. People want to know when. Entire false religions, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, have made false prophecies about the when for 130 years. But Jesus says in verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Another time Jesus said it was for the Father to know and not even the Son knew. But what if it was given for man to know the timing of God's plan? Think about that. If if we knew what God was doing, would we be found at work when the time comes? If it's two millennia down the road, who's going to do the work that they're not going to be there for the for the revealing? Would man leave it to a... Another generation, more close to the timing of the event, probably. A question. What would you do if you knew the date that you're going to die? Is that a blessing or is that a curse? Can we be sure that our gracious God keeps that knowledge from us because he's a good God? I think we can, knowing the day of our death, would be crippling. Then in verse 8, Jesus speaks his last earthly words to his friends. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power, Jesus said, and they were going to need it because they were going to take his message out into a world that hates him, a hostile world that did not want to hear, and still today does not want to hear. Now today there is literally no corner of the earth that the message of Christianity has not gone to. Now an occasional unknown tribe shows up in some wild rainforest, but rest assured, the moment that they're discovered... Christian missionaries are on their way and the Wycliffe Bible Translating Society sticks another pin in the map. But when Jesus gave the command to take his message to the ends of the world, have you ever wondered where exactly the apostles went? The Bible gives us some information, not much, but Christian historians like Eusebius, Origen, Tertullian, Clement, Fill in other details. This history is not biblical and inerrant. In fact, I've left some information out that contradicts each other. However, it's just as useful as any other history to understand what was going on at the turn of the, turn of the zero zeros. I mentioned a missionary from India last week, a friend, and when I, and I'm going to clarify something. I got, the, I got grief from my wife because when I asked him, you know, when he became a Christian, I erroneously attributed to him that he'd always been a Christian. No, everybody has to, has to um, come to Christ individually. Thank you, Aaron. What he meant was that the, Christ, the area that he grew up in India had always been Christian. I didn't look it up for last week's sermon. I looked it up for this week's sermon, and indeed, indeed, that is the history. It is almost universally believed that Thomas, Doubting Thomas, took the gospel to Parthia, which is part of Iran now, and then on to Mylapore, India. To this day, there is a group of Believers called St. Thomas Christians. And I'll bet you 10 to 1 that my friend from India was one of those Christians. What about the other apostles? Bartholomew is perhaps the least known of them. Uh, The Bible basically only names Bartholomew. Nothing Bartholomew did made the extended cut. Well, he evangelized in Armenia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and India. Eusebius, writing in the 300s AD, said, Bartholomew traveled to India to preach, leaving behind a copy of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, he wrote in his history, Bithynius is said to have gone among the Indians, where report is that he discovered there the Gospel according to St. Matthew among some who knew Christ. Bartholomew, one of the apostles, had preached to them and had left behind the writings of St. Matthew in Hebrew letters. The Apostle Andrew took the gospel to Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, ultimately to the Ukraine and Russia, which means he also went through probably Bulgaria and Albania. James, the son of Zebedee, did not stayed in Judea. He never left Jerusalem. The Apostle Philip preached in Asian Turkey. I'm not saying more about him because he's one of the people whose histories are confused. He's confused in early writings with Philip the Evangelist. So the Apostle Philip did preach in Asian Turkey. The Apostle Matthew labored in Parthia, Iran, and Ethiopia. James, the son of Alphaeus, remained in Judea also as the bishop of Jerusalem, so he never left. Simon the Zealot took the gospel to Mauritania in western Africa. Mauritania is next to Morocco. And then he went on to Britain. Thaddeus, also known as Jude, preached in Turkey and is revered as the apostle to the Armenians. Peter founded the church in Antioch now in western Turkey, before moving on to Rome. John preached largely in Greece. Finally, Paul preached in Damascus, Syria, preached in Jerusalem, Tarsus, Antioch, and Galatia in Turkey, Cyprus, Corinth in Greece, and Rome. At the time, Acts ends his account, Paul was hoping to travel to Spain, So, how well did the apostles do going to the ends of the earth? I think they did a pretty good job of what was known at the time. Judea, Syria, Iran, Iraq, India, Armenia, Turkey, Ukraine, Russia, Greece, Macedonia, Rome, Egypt, Ethiopia, Mauritania, Spain, and Britain. Those are only the places we know of. Now, I started out by recounting the post-erection appearances of Jesus to his disciples and how at first they didn't recognize him. How do we know that that was really Jesus? How do we know? Well, first of all, God's word tells us it was. But for skeptics, what would you say? Well, you might point out that every one of the apostles spent the rest of their lives without denying Christ, no matter what was coming for them. They spent the rest of their lives spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's even a better proof. We don't know how every apostle died. The Bible only gives the fate of James, son of Zebedee, The brother of John, Acts 1, 12, 1 through 2 says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. History recounts that the man who betrayed James to Herod was converted by the testimony of James. And before the authorities... Confessed his belief in Christ. James and his betrayer were executed together. Of all the apostles, only John died of natural causes and probably in his 90s in Ephesus, Turkey, after being released from exile on the island of Patmos. The apostle Andrew was martyred in either Achaia or Patria in western Greece by the Roman governor, Aegeus. He was crucified on an X-shaped cross, now known as a St. Andrew's cross. He asked to be tied instead of nailed to the cross. The Romans were glad to oblige him because it would take longer for him to die. Indeed, it took him three days Andrew took the opportunity thus afforded to him to preach a three day sermon from the cross. Thomas, doubting Thomas, was martyred in Mylapore, India, by a soldier with a spear. His tomb is in Mylapore. The Apostle Philip died in Phrygia, Turkey, around 80 AD. He was scourged, then thrown into prison, and then crucified. Matthew was killed by a halberd like a battle axe in the city of Nadaba, Ethiopia around 60 AD. James, the son of Alphaeus, Bishop of Jerusalem, was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed to death. Simon the Zealot was crucified in Britain in 74 AD. Thaddeus, was crucified in Edessa, Turkey in 72 AD. Peter was famously crucified upside down in Rome in 66 AD. Contrary to popular opinion, upside down crucifixion was not unusual. Um, Romans got bored with the same old, same old crucifixion. And they liked to try new things. So even uh, some of the other apostles were crucified upside down. Finally, we have Paul. History says he was beheaded in Rome in 66 AD. Tradition, history, says he and Peter were executed on the same day in Rome. Arguably the first and last apostles of the Lord Jesus. Matthew sixteen twenty four through 28 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone who would come after me... according to what he has done apostles literally did take up their cross to follow jesus acts 9:10 through 17 says of this says this of the soon to be apostle paul now there was a disciple in damascus named ananias the lord said to him in a vision ananias and he said here i am lord and the lord said to him rise and go to the street called straight And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he is seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And I love Ananias on this response. He says, Lord, I've heard of this guy. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul took up his cross. These words are recorded here because they apply to us as well. We're called to a life of bold obedience. We're living in a time where around the world Christians are being persecuted. And I believe it's soon to come here. We're living in a world that's wracked by a pandemic where people are afraid to come to church. But we're called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world and no pandemic and no government sanctions and no skeptics should stop us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are in your, in your mission field every day that we live. I pray that we will recognize that fact, that we would live boldly for you never hiding in our rooms behind locked doors as the apostles did after the crucifixion but to go into the world testify about you as the apostles did after the resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.